Okay, so as an extra bonus and a side note to this 420 spectacular extravaganza that we are putting on here at Ideologically Illogical, so check out all the episodes, past, present, future, and now. But no, seriously, guys, um, there's been a lot of talk about the Constitution, the American Constitution, and it was written on um, hemp paper. Well, I hate to disappoint everyone, but it was not. Um, it was written on parchment, and here's why. At the time, parchment, which is made from animal skin, was considered to keep more longevity, right? And it was considered higher class because the way it had to be treated and the processes it went through, <clears throat> excuse me, to preserve it for that longevity. But where the misconception comes from is the you know it's not like the, the the constitution just popped up out of thin air there were a lot of notes there was a lot of notations a, a lot of the constituents um from all sides of, of the colonies had, had things to say and they wrote out all these things and what they primarily wrote on at the time which was cheap would have been hemp paper so the ideology of Americana, the ideology of USA, the ideology of where it all came from, was done in notation, yes, primarily on hemp paper, because that's what was common to the common people. But the actual constitution of the United States itself was done on animal skin parchment. I hope this clarifies some things up, and I hope you're enjoying your 420, and uh, yeah, there, there's there's a lot going on in America right now, guys. And I could sit here and go on a, on a tirade, on a rant. But uh, I'm too busy enjoying my 420. And uh, we'll get back to serious politics later. Enjoy your 420. Roger Dodger, over out. Thank you guys for tuning in again. Later. Gator! Okay, so when you break it down to the rights that the state has, as opposed to the federal rights, how it's defined is, and I'll go by their definition, not my own, right? That way it's all just and fair for everyone. But a state's right or power cannot exceed that of the federal government. In other words, a state cannot impose a law that is in violation of a federal law. An extreme example would be a woman's right to vote, right? So like all free women... All free female citizens have a right to vote. Therefore, a state cannot impose a law that would contradict that. And that's kind of a real vague thing when it comes down to a lot of things because those there's a lot of laws that really cross those boundaries. And state rights refer to the political rights and powers granted to the states of the United States by the U.S. Constitution under the doctrine of the state's rights and the federal government is not allowed to interfere right with the powers of the states reserved or implied to them by the 10th amendment of the u.s constitution and so that's when we go and we check on so then what are 
the federal rights and you know and ironically as opposed to the states where, where the laws are geared for, for the states as, as an entity that when you get to the federal level they try to obfuscate everything and just push the narrative on here's the constitution here's the amendments those are your rights uh, we understand what our what our personal rights are and we'll get to that in a minute into a minute what we want to know is what are the limitations of the federal government ah see they don't want you to know that and that's really why it comes down to your own civil liberties your own civil liberties are tied hand in hand with the rights restrictions of what the federal government can and cannot do and then that falls in line within the rights of what the state can and cannot do and right now if you've been paying attention you've got these sovereign citizens running around trying to exercise their free will and rights over and above the state and the federal you've got the states exercising their rights over and above both the sovereign citizen and the federal level and then you got the federal level trying to exercise their rights over and above the sovereign citizen and the states now wait but wait there's more Yes, then you have the United Nations, which, so oddly enough, um, musical languages are, languages are constructed languages based on musical sounds, which tend to incorporate articulation, which apparently I'm not good at doing right now. And unlike tonal languages focused on stress and whistled languages, um, which are focused on pitch blends. Musical languages distinguish pitches or rhythms. Whistled languages are dependent on an underlying spoken languages and are used in various cultures as a means of communications over distance or as secret codes because that piercing sound of a whistle, you know, transgresses and confuses. So the mystical concept of a language of the birds uh, tries to connect the two categories and what I mean by this is in Abrahamic and European mythology medieval literature and occultism the language of the birds is postulated as a mystical perfect divine language atomic language Enochian angelic language or a mythical or magical language used by birds to communicate with the initiated now at first glance you're like yeah 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 what make a pie eat a pie but i want you to try to understand when you look at all the other symbology of countries and civilizations past and present you know you you've got the thunderbirds which represent a lot of the native american tribes and then you've got the eagle which is so well represented across the planet with so many countries, right, that it represents. And the phoenix, um, you've got all these birds representing all of these different uh, sangre royales, which was our last you know, podcast we did a couple of days ago. You might want to go check that out. So it's kind of interesting when we do these tie-ins, because that's what this podcast is about, right, connecting the dots. And that might be one reason why birds, not, not just because of the language, but obviously their perspective over everything, uh, they knew. Anyway, 
moving on. Um, so the mystical concept of language of the birds tries to connect the two categories, right? So some authors of the musical a priori of languages have speculated about a mystical or primeval origin of the whistled languages. And there are only a few language families as of now, such as the Sorosol language family, uh, the Moss uh, language family, and Nizibuzigu language family. Yes, Nizibuzigu. The Moss is a musical language designed by composer Jackson Moore, uh, by the way, and it has a phonology based on elemental melodic distinctions and a simple lexicon and grammar inspired by pigeons. Uh, Moore teaches Moss at Bruce High uh, Quality Foundation University. So there's that. But the Solrosol family is a family of uh, pastorelli languages, usually English, right, where a sequence of seven notes of the Western C major scale or the 12 tone chromatic scale um, are used as phonemes, right? And so you got the Damalia, you got the Iaia, you got the Sarus, you got the Sorosol, you got the Moss. And then, of course, you got the Nizibuzigu family. Um, type O negative. That's the word or phrase I was searching for earlier. Sorry about that, folks. Type O negative. And I should have known that because my uh, Native American wife, and yes, I'll go ahead and put that out there, is type O negative. Um, that puts her in a one percentile. I'll let that sink in on that. But it always comes down to the royal bloodline and how much royal blood is, is within the character. Um, because as, and I'm not saying we buy into the philosophy or anything, but it's written there and it's written there as a means of telling stories. Um, the fallen angels, right, that, that blended with the humans. And you hear this over and over again, uh, depending on which culture you look at. So at some point in time, there was some shenanigans going on. And those that feel they are more of their own uh, race, as opposed to the blending of what we are now, the earth mutt, um, they feel they are the royal bloodline and the ones that are the keepers of the secrets and the knowledges and all of this stuff. So yeah, yeah, it Yada, yada, yakety yak, and all that crap, right? <clears throat> At the end of the day, this goes back to ancient Samaria, and you've got the King's List. And if you're not familiar with the King's List, uh, go ahead and look up one of my prior episodes, and we do a, a full segment on the, the Sumerian King's List. And uh, the royal bloodline transcended from that list into the Egyptian hierarchy and their kings and queens and, and then that obviously transcended over into the Roman and the Greeks and and so forth and so forth and branched out into what we have as the modern dark ages and the modern middle ages and all of that stuff. Now what people need to understand is entire countries are, are named after royal bloodlines. Like when you, when you hear the word Russia you just think it's a country. But it was named after the House of Rus, right? A royal bloodline. When you hear Saudi Arabia, you just think a country, but that's named after the house of Saud, right? A royal bloodline. So it wasn't just the royal bloodlines in Europe, right? These royal bloodlines were, were planet wide. 
and they go back millennia, millennia, and, and that's it's these cats who have obfuscated the the real history and the truth from from the rest of us, and ironically from themselves even. So that's the sad part, and so it's really up to the true um, believers and seekers to to get back to our real roots of what humanity and mankind really is, what our true purpose is here for, and to avoid the pitfalls of these faux religion slash government slash fascist corporate entities that, that want to rule over uh, the masses. And to some extent, they almost have to, because um, if you leave it to the masses. So when you were a little kid, did your parents make you do something over and over again, practice something, whether it be a musical instrument or sports or reading or something, and you had to do it repetitively and over and over again to get better at it, of course. Does this sound familiar to you? Something that you remember doing as a child, whether it be math or English. Do you remember taking spelling bees with your siblings and trying to learn things repetitiveness right repetition is the mother of all learning so where am i going with this well obviously if you have the ability to do something over and over and over again until you get it right kind of think of it like the movie groundhog day and subsequently all the rip-off movies that have come after it because that is essentially what you are left with. You're left with a paradigm where the world seems to do something, the world seems to not change, almost as if you're in a video game, on stuck on a level. And until you get that one right, little thing right, you cannot advance to the next level. And this is the metaphor that they're putting out there. This is the, 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 the symbology that they want us to, to, to learn, absorb, absorb. Why would that be? because somebody somewhere already grabbed a time machine and figured it out. And it's nothing more than wave theory, electromagnetic theory, and frequency exchange, as we are all nothing but energy. And this entire existence is nothing but an energy waveform. The fact that we perceive it the way we do, that's a whole other story, and we'll get into that in a moment. But first, let's get back to the waveforms. As everyone remembers, there was this huge dispute with Tesla and... Um, Edison and that all got figured out and they went their separate ways you know Tesla actually worked for Edison but Edison was very shrewd and he was very good at, at harnessing his workers ideas and then taking them for himself Tesla was not the only one he did this for as a matter of fact Thomas Edison didn't really invent anything almost everything that he has uh, acclaimed of inventing he actually uh, bought or, you know, had done at his factories or paid someone to do for him. In other words, it wasn't his brain. He was just the, the brain behind getting the brains to work, which is a great thing. Don't get me wrong. But Tesla, on the other hand, did not want his intellectual property stolen, and he fought back. Welcome back. And today we're discussing chimeras and how they affect us and why it affects you and why it's important. Now, first off, let's define what a chimera is and how and what um, area it is. Okay, so it, specifically it's genetics. Let's just cut to the chase. Genetics is where we're going to deal with chimeras. And oddly enough, 
when it comes to COVID. Um, that's also genetics. And I just want you to file that in the back of your head for right now. And we'll jump back to that later. But right now, back to chimeras and the genetics of it. So a, gene- a genetic chimerism or chimera um, is a single organism composed of cells with more than one distinct genotype. So in animals, this means that like an individual derived from two or more zygots, um, which include possessing blood cells of different blood types, subtle variations in form, you know, the phenotypes. And if the zygots were of diff- differing sexes, then even the possession of both female and male sex organs. And this is just one of ma- many uh, different phenomena that may result uh, in intersexuality. Animal chimeras are produced by the merger of multiple fertilized eggs. Uh, in plant chimeras, however, the distinct types of tissue may originate from the same zygote. Uh, and the difference is often due to mutation, you know, variation, uh, during ordinary cell division. Normally, genetic chimerism is not visible on uh, casual inspection. However, it has been detected in the course of proving parentage. And we'll get to all that in a minute and what all that means. Uh, another way that chimerism can occur in animals is by organ transplantation, giving one individual tissues that develop from a different genome. For example, transplantation of bone marrow often determines the recipient's ensuing blood type. And um, the reason all this is fascinating is because how they're using it and the promise that it has. So what they've been doing is is creating these human pig hybrids um yeah i shit you not <laughs> yeah i don't mean to cuss there but <clears throat> when i first found out about these you know ages ago 10 years ago it seems like um probably more than that probably like 15 to 20 but i'd, I'd never believed it and uh here we are today and it's still pretty much it's not like it's a secret it's just it's not really spoken about um but i'm, I'm looking right now at a, at a human pig embryo a hybrid created in a lab and here's the facts and this is from national geographic and it's at nationalgeographic.com backslash science backslash article backslash human pig hybrid embryo chimera organs health science and that's where you'll find this article 